Welcome back, listeners, to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. As always, you're joined by your four hosts, Lawrence, Jack, DC, and of course, myself. Instead of a little weekly catch-up, I'm going to do something a little bit different this week, which will be like a little this and that. Get to find out a little bit more about the boys. And, uh, you know, it could completely change the dynamic based on the results of this, of the podcast. So the first one I want to throw it off to is uh, CrossFit versus powerlifting. If you had to pick one, which which one would you pick? Obviously, the physique that comes with that. Well, I guess the physique. Yeah. What would you pick? Oh, that's mm. a tough one. Are you going to be a 100 kilo powerlifter? Are you going to be a 75 kilo crossfitter? Shredded? Like, you know, I want to know. Depends what I weight class I... you do in powerlifting. Exactly. But, you know, I guess what's the stereotypical, you know, one? Mm. I think, I don't know, like crossfit, at least the training would be a little bit more variety in there. Mm. And, you know, you're probably walking around pretty shredded because the amount of expenditure you're doing. Yeah. Mm. really comes down to i guess would you rather look or would you rather lift really heavy oh that being said crossfitters do lift really heavy as well i think i'm taking crossfit to be fair Mm. i don't know i think i'd get a bit bored with three lifts after a while so i'll take crossfit i'm probably the same same as you lawrence like the gym that i used to work at back at virgin active in in sydney there was a lot of crossfitters that that trained there and one of my good friends there nath was um a crossfitter himself would go to regional games things like that and they used to go down to the event and watch a lot of the athletes and some of the stuff they can do is just mind blowing. Like I know CrossFit receives a lot of really bad rap, but I think there's always extremists ex- and extreme circumstances in all aspects of the sport. You know, like it's very look- easy to look at bodybuilding as having a certain bro, you know, type of like stereotype. And when I think a lot of people look at CrossFit, they think that stereotype of someone just axing themselves, trying to perform you know, crazy amounts of snatches and things like that. But there's, that's not really a representation of what they do within the sport, you know, like that's taking it to the extreme. So I would actually go with CrossFit as well. I think it's a pretty cool sport, just the stuff they do. Yeah, I'd have to go with powerlifting purely because I'm not a big fan of the cardio aspect of CrossFit. So. <laughs> yeah, I would actually probably be the same as uh, DC and Lawrence. I reckon I would go probably CrossFit. But that being said, I thought a majority of you would have picked powerlifting. So that's that's interesting. Uh, straight back or bent back when deadlifting? That was a joke. But now I've got Lawrence riled up. Now I get to the real question. Pickles on burgers, yes or no? Yes. Yes. I say yes as well. Oh, I'm a no. All right. Uh, Forearms or calves? Calves. 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 I'd probably have to go forearms just because I've never had calves. But that's, that's another topic for another day. Pepsi Max or Diet Coke? Pepsi. Or Coke, no sugar? Pepsi Max. Pepsi, yeah. I'd probably go Coke, no sugar. Damn. I am a Pepsi Maxer. Um, now, this wasn't actually on the list, but if that were to take away the competitive side of bodybuilding, would you still do bodybuilding? Yes. Yes. I don't think yes. I would necessarily do it for every single session of my week, but I would definitely probably do it for the majority. To be fair, like if once I stopped competing, that's why I probably would pick up, you know, a day of something else during the week, like maybe do one of those CrossFit classes or I've always been interested by something about like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or stuff like that. I probably wouldn't put as Light much saber effort. Thanos. Sorry? <laughs> Lightsaber fighting, maybe? Well, maybe, to be fair, if there was one local, that's an easy choice. But no, I think... Can you, you know, actually do legit, like four days of the like week? Is that like a legit sport or...? 
Now, there's classes you can go to though. Like you can actually <laughs> yeah, go right. and learn it and stuff. Which pretty kind cool. of like Quidditch. Like there's, I think there's like a Quidditch league or something. Yeah, wow. I had no the idea. Boy, boys get out their lightsabers and just have a big sword fight, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> that was like a standard day for me. Uh, yeah. All right. So we actually got some bangers for the Q&A this week. So I'm going to throw this over to Lawrence first. Opinion on CrossFit. Like what, what's your take on it? I think whenever you ask for someone's opinion on CrossFit, it's really hard because there's CrossFit in different sort of tiers, you know, like some people might yeah. be thinking that your average CrossFit box, you know, in some suburbia in Brisbane where, you know, maybe there's some questionable things going on. But then if you look at the highest level, like the people at CrossFit games, like they're absolutely incredible, like amazing athletes. I think the title of fittest on earth is pretty apt for those people because they are, <laughs> lifting big weights they are doing endurance events they're doing power events speed events like they're phenomenal athletes i think what it has been a really good thing is that crossfit has opened up fitness to a lot more people that maybe didn't really want to get involved with conventional weight training or maybe didn't want to be just a runner or a power lifter but they wanted to do a bit of everything and crossfit i guess is kind of like a bit of a gateway drug into the rest of the resistance training world because a lot of people will maybe start down at their F45 at their local CrossFit box. And then they realize, oh, like I really like the barbell lifts. So I'm going to start bodybuilding or powerlifting. Or even I think the big one is since CrossFit has become more popular, so too has the popularity of like Olympic weightlifting. So I think for that reason, it is very good. And, you know, to be fair, like I know the old adage is like, you know, CrossFit, all you're going to do is hurt yourself and stuff like that. And Whilst I think there are some problems with the way CrossFit jumps are run that may predispose people more to injury, I also think that like anything, if you're periodizing correctly, recovering correctly, then you know it shouldn't be any riskier than bodybuilding or powerlifting. I'd say even within bodybuilding, like you still hear of people doing some really whack stuff, right? In terms of exercise selection and and exercise, and it's no different for any any sport really, in particular. So. Like I was saying, I think CrossFit tends to get a really bad rap from bodybuilders, you know, as it's like either this or that in terms of the camp, but to each their own. Like if you like that, that's what you love doing, then that's what you love doing. And that's, you know, what can anyone else say? Like, I think the people that bag on other people's sports are just like, you need to concentrate on your own shit, to be honest. Like there's more things mm. to worry about. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I honestly see it as just like any other sport, like lawn bowls, for example. And if we're being... Lawn bowls. Like, it's also probably much closer to a sport than bodybuilding is because it's a lot mm. more objective. Like, isn't lawn bowls at the Olympics or something? So lawn bowls is more of a... Maybe, maybe the not. Com Games. Okay. I'm not sure about the Olympics, though. Definitely the Com Games because I did... I think one of the Aussies won in the recent competition. Mm, fantastic. We need a physio for the uh, lawn bowls Olympic team. Are you up for it, Lawrence? Or what? send me over, mate. Honestly, as long as I can get that green and gold jacket and just be able to be dripped out of that, I'm pretty pretty pleased. 
Yeah, I agree with all these boys on what they've said. One thing I really like about CrossFit though, is it really teaches you to train hard. Like there is like no doubt about it. Like when you're going on an AMRAP set and you're competing against like 20 other people at the exact same time, it really pushes you. And it does have some good carryover to other sports. Like, you know, if you train, you do CrossFit, you notice that a lot of people, when they then swap over to do bodybuilding style of training, they train damn hard. And normally they have really good physiques. That's why a large majority of those CrossFit people guys and girls do have absolute rigs do any of you boys have clients that maybe do a bit of you know obviously they work with you but then they train at like an f45 or a fit stop a couple times a week do any of you guys have clients like that yep yeah i do yep Mm. how do you manage that in amongst their usual training is that sort of something where you try and give them a bit of guidance on or is that just like a freebie day for them mm, yeah so it is a challenging piece like actually i had I have a client who or an athlete who recently competed in a bjj comp over on the weekend on sunday and we had to basically get him into um his weight class make sure he was appropriate weight on the day but he also participates in sort of hip-based classes very similar to crossfit so it's 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 almost like a matter of trial and error to figure out how much volume he's doing within his classes outside of our our strength sessions and if anything building the strength program or the hypertrophy program around the volumes that he's already doing so we sort of have to work out i guess what days align on on like what training days look like what so you know when is he doing these classes when can we fit in these particular exercises that are not going to um, create an additional level of fatigue moving into the next class so it's a kind of a little bit of a juggling act when you when you do train as a little more of a conjugate style um, but it's it's no different to anything else where you just assess how much someone's doing within the week and what you think is therefore viable and you therefore measure and manipulate. So in that case, it's been a bit of a trial and error to sort of assess his biofeedback markers over the coming months and and sort of have to really move his training volumes around so that we're not getting injured and, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah, I like that. I've got like a client similar to that where uh, she's big into CrossFit, but she obviously has physique goals as well. So then I give her like a prescription of standard training days, I guess, bodybuilding style training days where I would give her like two days. And I say like, I want you to do, you know, you can do three of your CrossFit sessions, but I want you to write them down in the program so I can see what you're actually doing. So, you know, I might need to make some changes over the next program block, but I just say, Hey, I want these sessions done at least. And then, you know, if you want to do two to three of your own CrossFit sessions a week, then, you know, do that as well. And then I just take care of the nutrition around that as well. Next one meal plans. It wasn't really a hundred, hundred percent specific, but we're going to say it for prep. Um, now I'm going to throw this over to DC. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say I'll firstly talk about the off season. So I think off season is really where you can implement elements of flexible dieting, right? You can really perhaps be interchangeable with carbohydrates and with fats in the off season as a means of promoting a more sustainable lifestyle. But when within the constraints of a contest prep, particularly as your calories do get lower over time and you have more of an emotional association with, you know, really uh, salty and sweet foods, like your, your, your sort of, palatability of these particular foods definitely drives up and so i think your ability to make more mindful decisions with regards to your meals becomes less and less so i definitely think having a meal plan in place is a really great strategy to implement as a means of measuring and therefore you know manipulating these variables but also i would say for 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 most competitors uh, we really want to ensure that we're also getting a wide allotment of micronutrients within that diet too and you can imagine if you're 
quite food focused and perhaps you're trying to fit in certain foods within your meal plan or within your, sorry, your, your day of flexible dieting that doesn't necessarily tick off these certain micronutrient requirements, then it's not really the best way to go about your diet. So I think the best, one of the best implemented strategies would be to basically put forth a, a meal plan and perhaps that meal plan can sort of micro, be micro adjusted from week to week based on, you know, adjustments to the nutritional targets you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there almost comes a point within prep where your calories do get so damn low that naturally you need to default to certain foods that look pretty similar each and every day. So I'm definitely a fan for, for a meal plan, but I think it's something that, that the athlete and the coach needs to work out together. So, you know, so that you're essentially getting best of both worlds because the foods that I might want to implement within my own contest prep might be a lot different to what someone else wants to consume for 25 weeks straight. So it's something that you both need to work collectively on to establish. Yeah, I, I agree. Like the only thing I'll add to that is toward, especially towards the end of prep, like we want changes in scale weight to be derived from ideally changes in the physique. So change in body fat potentially, as opposed to change in food bulk. So if someone's varying their degree of food bulk day to day and it's fluctuating a lot, then it's not going to be too reflective of, what's actually what's well, basically going to be fluctuating scale weight like crazy so it's probably better to stick to a fairly consistent intake day to day and i think it's also better from a food focused perspective as well to be keeping things consistent rather than letting someone play around with their food every day and adding in this sauce and that sauce and changing up their oats to to cream of rice etc mm, yeah i completely agree i almost think that there's a bit of a almost like a inverse parabola effect with respect to the correlation between body weight trends and body compositional change within a contest prep. So initially at the initial aspects of a contest prep, often body weight shifts don't necessarily correlate to body compositional change. And it might be associated with the implementation of different foods as you're starting to begin, you know, a set, a set meal plan, or you've, you maybe at the start of a contest prep, someone is implementing a little bit more of an approach of flexible dieting. And then, Towards the back end in the contest prep, the rate of loss has slowed down so much that maybe you're only losing, you know, a couple hundred grams every single week in terms of an average. And certainly you can somewhat flush out that that one to two hundred to three hundred gram, you know, deviation and or decrease in weight just by shifts in food volume, hydration, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously there's there's an effect in terms of gut motility on the contest prep state as well. So generally you have that slowing of gut motility. In, in the sense that the body's trying to extract more nutrients from things like fiber and the foods that you are consuming. So yeah, but, but that, I completely agree with you. I think that at the end of the day, if you can control for these variables as best you can, then I think that that's always going to yield the, the more appropriate you know, result at the end. So mm. definitely a pro for meal plans, but even, again, it's, it's, it's always the individual that you've got to work with. Yeah. I mean, even though it's not like nutritionally, it's not the best to be eating the same thing every day, but it's comprep. It's for a specific reason. Ideally, we want more variety, which is where the off season is allows for that essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I like what DC said, but like when he gets to the back end of a prep, whether a lot, whether or not you like it 
or not, you're pretty much probably going to be on a meal plan regardless. Like you're going to have your food that you really enjoy. Uh, it's going to work for you. You know, it like easily digests. And the last thing you want in the, like the back end of the prep is, you know, like what Jack said, where you're swapping all these meal plans, m- meal choices. Like one day you might have oats, like, you know, all this other stuff. And the next day you might have super high volume to try and counteract the hunger because, you know, you've maybe had like some highly palatable foods the day before. And so I'm a big fan of them, especially on like the back end of prep. Even if there might be not so much like I'll give them a meal plan, I'll at least be like, all right, send me your meals that you want to eat throughout the entirety of this week. I'll have a look over them, make sure they're all being tracked correctly, you know, make sure there's a decent bit of variety in there. And then I just kind of let them go. But like I said, on the back end of prep, you're pretty much probably going to be eating the same thing day to day. One, because you like it. Two, because you know it works for you and it's just easily replicable. Cutting muscular female divisions in the Arnold. I don't know if any of you boys have seen it, but I believe they've cut the physique division, the bodybuilding division, and from what Kate was saying, the figure as well. What's your take on it? Even the figure. I, b- I believe so. Really? Uh, that's, wow. Well, maybe maybe Kate might have thrown that in there to you know see what we would say, but what's your take on it? No, I think they did cut the figure. I think they did. I mean, women's bodybuilding has been out of the mix for quite a long time now. And I think it, I think it just comes down to just sheer participation. And obviously like what generates the most revenue, I think as well. Exactly. Like it's about putting bottoms on seats. And unfortunately, you know, those divisions were just not pulling enough in, but I believe that Arnold also cut the two twelve category for men's body bodybuilding as well. So they did sort of shake things up a little bit this year and, once again, obviously, they're putting their eggs in the baskets that are going to generate the most revenue. Like, you know, Classic is definitely more popular now than 212 is. And men's open bodybuilding is always going to be the main draw card. But look, I do think it's a bit disappointing not to have women's physique and women's figure there because I think there's a really strong talent pool in those two particular classes. And yeah, I just, it's a really hard one because from a business standpoint, you may not really be able to fault them, but obviously it's just disappointing for those competitors who can't eventually get there. I think that it's only, it's quite natural that, you know, the more muscular divisions within the female side of physique sports are just not going to be as attainable for as many of the ladies. And, you know, it's kind of the same for the guys. There's bigger numbers in men's physique and classic than there is in open men's bodybuilding because less people are able to or less people are willing to take it to that extreme. So is it probably massively surprising? Probably not, but it is a bit disappointing. Yeah, I think you're right there. Like in terms of the female categories, there's obviously less less women participating in things such as physique, women's physique and women's bodybuilding, et cetera. Because I think less women have the genetic proclivities to do really well within those those categories. Um but I also think Arnold has, just from what I've seen over the years, I don't, I don't, I don't know this really in terms of factual, but it does seem that, that, that Arnold really wants to, Arnie wants to really sort of preserve certain aspects of the sport. So like I know there's been comments from him in the past in relation to like the men's bodybuilding opens, basically saying that like, if you come into the show, if you come into my show with a distended gut, like a GH gut, you're instantly going to be marked down because that's not what we want to see on stage. So and and then sometimes in like the more opens in the in the IFBB, 
you might see a little bit more of that, but it's not quite as marked in the same light or it's not talked about in the same light as, as Arnold is in just to the public, you know? So I'm not surprised that he would put forth certain, I mean, I don't know if it's truly him, just him to be honest, but. Um, is it just yeah. me or is there less GH guts going around though? I feel like a few years ago, there was much, there was a lot more. It's way better now for sure. Mm. Yeah. I think it's so. It's interesting because I also think that coincides with, with sort of the time by which it was becoming a little bit more shamed. And it was, yeah. I do remember like Arnie putting out like a public thing about it, basically saying like, if you come in looking like this, don't go compete in my, my show. Don't compete in my festival. So it's mm. like, oh, yeah. Crazy. I think he even did something to like Kai Green about it. Like when they were actually up on stage and they were like interviewing it as he won, he like told him about it. He was like, he brought it up in conversation while he was on the mic and Kai was like, uh, <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> yeah. of like an awkward one. Well, I've already won the trophy. So, you know, with that being said, do you reckon now there's like, it's getting to a point where there's maybe too many divisions? Like if you have to cut out some of the true like bodybuilding divisions just to fit in some of these new classes, do you reckon they're maybe adding in too many divisions? I know like even with some of the natural shows, I'm not going to name the feds and all that, but like, you know, I think I counted it. And for like female divisions alone, they had about nine, 10 divisions, which is a lot of divisions to enter in for natural feds. Like, you know, I like, Tends a lot. Mm. Look, I think once again, and I know that, you know, Jack and I always discuss this. It's like, it's a money game. And if you're able to widen the scope and more people are able to compete, then more people are going to pay their entry fee. But I also think there is something to be said for federations creating divisions for people who are between divisions Mm. and I think that's good to a certain extent because there are some really good physiques that don't go rewarded. For example, I think, I think wellness is quite a good division to be had, particularly in the enhanced realm where, you know, these girls do have a lot more muscle because there are girls who just have, you know, really jacked lower bodies, maybe don't get in gnarly enough condition to do the figure or the physique, but also would look at a place in bikini so you have some people with really good physiques who are just going to miss out because they don't quite meet the criteria so i think that's a really good addition but like where do you stop do you just start to make new divisions to appease people so that they will place well or is there a point where you just need to say well if you're not good enough to place in these divisions you're going to need to change something or just accept that this is not the sport for you so it's tough i think that like more inclusivity is good and i think that at the end of the day, we all should be wanting to see shows with as many competitors as possible because it grows the sport. But you also just want to be careful that you're not diluting that competitive field. It's mm. a fine line, isn't it? Really? Mm, it is. Don't we'll really have, have much on, more. We'll just have to get on Arnold so we can chat it with him. Yeah, yeah ask him what it's all about. I wonder how guess, much of... Just casually? Yeah, I wonder how much of that decision though, like on his part would be about because like obviously the whole sport has developed in the sense that like if you look at all the male male categories the guys from compared to 20 years ago are way more muscular and the same goes for the ladies as well so like i wonder how much of that decision is like arnold almost saying like okay no we're gonna in a sense like preserve the female divisions that highlight the most femininity possible and then the muscular divisions can be saved for the Olympia and stuff like that, which I find very disappointing because I think that's one of the really good things about 
you know, seeing women's figure, women's physique, it's like, it's highlighting, you know, strong muscular women in a really positive way, because for the longest time, you know, we always get told lifting will make you bulky girls, don't pick up weights, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got a generation of females who are missing out on all the positive health benefits that come with resistance training, which sucks. And now it's kind of like the Arnold is sort of removing all these really muscular divisions. And I know this is sort of, you know, that's the extreme. You don't need to be training to that level to be healthy, but it just kind of, it's a bit disappointing because, you know, like we would probably all agree if like bikini is the division that if any is a bit more, you know, it's, it's the most feminine, it's the most subjective at times. It's probably the most sexualized as well. So it's disappointing to not see the divisions there for the girls, which are a little bit more just about the physique. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's very disappointing for a lot of individuals, right? It's very disappointing to introduce these categories, have them have them year after year and really amazing competitors come through and then all of a sudden just kind of rip that carpet on, from underneath them and say, well, we're just not doing these categories anymore because they don't really represent what we envision as being female categories right so yeah i i completely agree i think it's really a shame that you, that you take away those because like when you look at the arnold's it wasn't like they were lacking in talent like they still had really really good high level competitors at the show so it's not like it, they weren't just getting any entries or anything like that like what they had with a couple of shows over in the u.s like they're actually getting loads and loads of top tier competitors, but also a little bit different. If he wants to preserve bodybuilding, why would he cut out like bodybuilding and like, you know, figure, which were like, they, they were there before any of these other divs before bikini, before wellness, those were the divs that, you know, was true bodybuilding. So. I said preserve just before in relation to Tani, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure whether that's the reason as to why he, you know, cut, mm. cut these divisions. Or if it was even Arnold who, well, that's it. Yeah, you don't need, I mean, Arnie's the, the face behind it, right? But you might not be the person actually making the decisions at the end of the day. Because if you were to cut bikini out of it, there would be a lot of empty seats there. Um, next question. Opinions on protein intake over 2.2 grams per kilo. Throw this over to Jack. Yeah, I mean, I think this question is pretty saturated. So I'll try and give a bit of a different take on it. But I more of my personal take, I guess, like I don't see any issues with going over 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight. Uh, we know that's not detrimental to someone's health. Um, even like three to four grams per kilo is, is fine. If uh, you don't have any pre-existing uh, kidney issues, etc. And like, I guess the most, the, the range that is often touted the most is like 1.6 to 2.2 or 2.4 grams per kilo of body weight. And that's probably what I, I put most of my clients probably closer to like the two, um, two grams per kilo. And uh, I think there is merit to going above 2.2 in a deficit, um, like potentially preserving more lean body mass, uh, potentially increasing satiation as well. Um, but also for those individuals who do have to consume a lot of food, like a lot of uh, carbohydrates and fats as well, they get in more trace proteins and therefore in order to prioritize HPV sources of protein, so like animal protein or being selective with your plant proteins, you'll. It's probably better to have your protein requirements a little bit higher, so that um, you don't have to like, like clutch at straws to to reach your HPV protein threshold for each day. So yeah, I mean my protein is actually like over three grams per kilo. I think I'm about about not quite ninety kilos, and my protein's at two seventy five. So like, 
I do it because I like a high protein intake. I don't want to have to worry too much about getting my animal sources of protein and my, my protein and fats are very, sorry, my carbs and fats are very high as well. Yeah. So I, I don't, there's no real harm. And in the literature, there is no real harm in like going over the 2.2, especially like upwards of like what Jack said, the three, I think like as well, like it depends on the body weight of the individual. Like if I have a 45 kilo female or something and she's just really small trying to get the stage and like, that's what she's going to like, you know, the chances are she's probably going to be on about three grams. Cause when you think about it, like, you know, you do, she might have four meals a day. And if you're trying to divide like what, 110 grams of protein over four meals a day, like that's that 25 grams of protein. Like that, that's like what, mm-hmm. like a hundred grams of raw chicken. Like, you know, that's, that's nothing. So, you know, if you can maybe blunt some hunger with increasing the protein a little bit more, she might be able to have 115 grams, 150 grams of protein per meal. By the time you get times up by four or five meals a day, like, you know, she's probably going to be near about that 150 grams. So very individual specific as well. Um, And, you know, there are times where you can definitely utilize going higher than 2.2. Yeah. I think it's a different ball game as well. When we're thinking about us being exceptionally lean on stage in terms of our, our protein requirements. So I think that recommendation of 1.6 to 2.2, it stands pretty well for athletes of ample body fats, body fat levels in the off season. Right. But Mm. it's very rare that you get like elite levels of conditioning and you assess the appropriate level of um, protein that's required for these individuals. So you could almost speculate that the protein requirements for these individuals might be, might be greater. You might start somewhat at, let's say two, 2.2, 2.3 grams per kilo of body weight at the start of a contest prep. And if you kept your protein pretty much the, the same throughout the entirety of the prep, they might be sitting at 2.8 grams, 2.7 grams per kilo of body weight towards the end. Right. Because obviously they've lost, they've lost weight. Um, and yes, I definitely think that that's going to be helpful in relation to somewhat assisting with um, satiation. Like, like you mentioned, DY. So I think there's definitely definitely benefits to sitting protein above above that recommendation, and it's probably quite situational. And in your case, Jack, it's like you also just enjoy eating protein. So it's mm-hmm. like if that's what you want to do, then hey, go go for it. There's no there's no caveat to having a higher protein diet if you choose. Yeah, the only situation I'd be concerned is if if someone was eating like someone was like 80 kilos, eating 300 grams of protein a day, and then they're on like 30 fat and 175 carb like that would be an issue like you're then depriving yourself of other nutrients just to have your protein high which is more concerning aren't you carnivore man because that's <laughs> yeah I, I tell you i totally agree like it's all a sacrifice at the end of the day right if you're eating way way too much protein to the extent by which your carbohydrates are you know one gram per kilo body weight well <laughs> well then you, you probably need to up that a little bit to feel a bit more energized within your training bouts so yeah, I totally, totally relate. I wonder what the average person is getting in like protein wise, because you can easily see it being nothing. Cause I mean, you walk through the aisles at Coles and it's like high protein muesli bar and it's like 12 grams. Like it's not even HBV protein. Like no, like get that weak stuff out of here. Like no bodybuilders walking through, like being like, Oh, that Carmen bar has got 30 high protein grams on peanut it. Butter. Get that in me. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think the RDI for protein starts at like 0.8 grams per kilo for the average person so yeah that's piss poor like imagine someone who weighs 50 kilos like that's that's one meal for me or less than one meal (laughs) you could nearly get your protein straight from oats i mean yeah your protein straight from oats and like a scoop of peanut butter if you weigh that much yeah 
And that, but the thing is, there's still people who fall short of that, which is sad. Um, those people need to eat more protein for the sake of their health. Have you really seen a bodybuilder though that really shoots under the 1.6 grams recommendation though? I don't think I have. Like not many, not many bodybuilders I would ever talk to that's maybe like, you know, 80 kilos will ever be like really low on the spectrum, like 130, 140. How much do you have a day, DY? Uh, 225. Okay. I'm at 250. Jack said, you said 275? Yeah. And what are you at, DC? 230. Yeah, nice. Good spread there, lads. Lovely. If you're only able to train one muscle group, what would it be? I'd probably say the biggest muscle group, but I probably wouldn't train my glutes. Uh, that wouldn't be my only trained muscle group. So I'd probably have to go That's something a cop along. out. Yes. That's like saying, oh, <laughs> bro, I won't train adductors. Nah, come on. Make it like a day of training. All right. All right. So let, let's go push, pull, or legs. I'd, uh, I'd probably go push. And no, RDLs are not allowed on the pull day. <laughs> I know I know what Jack was thinking here. I'd have to go legs then. So this is to only do one? Only do one. Push, pull, or legs? I think legs because, you know, if we can only train one, all of our body, bodybuilding careers are done anyway. So mm. I think legs, because of the other benefits, you know, you'll be loading your hips, you'll be loading your lower back, you'll be loading your knees. I think it probably gives you the most bang for your buck there and you know if you're going to have one body part just be absolutely ridiculous it'd be cool to have just a big set of legs because push and pull you probably miss oh oh, to be fair like if you did pull you'd maybe get a little bit of residual bicep and you could still look a bit yucky at the beach but no i'm sticking with legs well i guess if you do pull you could probably get a little bit of tricep in there as well if you're like doing a shitload of pullovers yeah that's true that's true DC. I'm, I'm probably similar. I'd, pr- I'd probably go legs. I feel like by training legs, you probably get a little bit more, let's say, stimulus through the upper body than if you trained upper body only and the stimulus by which you present on the legs. Like, so I'd probably go legs. Absolutely. Or lower and you release all that sick testosterone training legs, you know? So that's <laughs> an easy one. Who's like, where did that even start? Like, I remember hearing that when I was like a teenager and even knowing nothing about the body or physiology, I remember being like, that doesn't sound right. It made sense to me. Uh, I fell <laughs> for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Back in 2013. I think there was I actually remember. a study by Brad Schoenfeld that looked at the difference in hypertrophy when someone trained like lower body only and then looking at bicep thickness sort of post lower body training, like a stint of following a training program. And of course, there was no increase in size through the arms. <laughs> so yes, I don't think you're you're gaining, you know, tremendous amounts of upper body, upper limb, upper limb, uh, muscle mass by training a, a different different muscle group altogether dy is going push though yeah i went push but i just can't believe i've been training legs for all this time then if there's no no boost in testosterone <laughs> i've just wasted six years of arms no i remember hearing something about dr mike and he was like if you were to want to grow one muscle group he's like you'd cut out everything else he's like you'd put all your recovery volume into that and you'd like structure it the best so i was like oh i guess you don't need to train legs but um, I guess there's the biceps femoris, isn't there, Lawrence? Wait, what are we talking about? Is that instead like you could still do a bit of biceps? Yeah, a bit of biceps. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Short and a long head. You don't mind that. All right. How do you know when you got good genetics, DC? I never liked the conversation around the genetic side of things, hey, because again, we talked about this in the last, the yeah. last podcast and how it's just so limiting in terms of 
you know, people's mindset in terms of like how far they think they can take their sport. But like, obviously bodybuilding is, is a, is there is a genetics game associated with that. So I think in terms of like even bone structure to like muscle architecture, Mm. things like that as well. So, you know, if you have that X frame in terms of having really broad shoulders, I think that'll be more advantageous when it comes to presenting a really nice X frame on, on stage. I mean, if you look at someone that has a long biceps in terms of their, you know, it's insertion attachment versus someone that has a very short, like the muscle just looks more full in terms of the, the lat attachment, you know, like a high attachment or a low lat attachment. I think the low lat attachment just tends to look more thick and wide in terms of like a posterior rear uh, lat spread shot. So, but in terms of like, whether you have good genetics or not, I mean, I think it'll probably come down to like when you step on stage and what you look like at the end of the day and how quickly you build muscle mass in your off season and things like that as well. So yeah. What do you boys think? I think there's a couple of types of the genetics as well. Like, you know, how much muscle you can truly put on in a set amount of time. Like you see it like all the time, you'll see like a football player that's like never really trained. And the next thing you know, like you're the same height as him and he's got like 10 kilos of lean mass on top of you. And it's like, what? It's like, you know, he starts training and he just blows up. So you've also got that side of it as well. And like, you know, you've also got the structure, like what DC was saying, like where your biceps insert, you even see some people with like different quad genetics on either side. So like one will attach really high and then one will attach really low, which like, it makes it very hard to go quite far in bodybuilding when you've got such an abnormity, I guess, on the lower body when it's such highly uh, judged. Mm. Yeah. Even things that people don't think of, like what about people who, never have any issues with their sleep. There's no doubt a genetic component to that. Like they they can get nine to 10 hours a night. As soon as their head hits the pillow, they sleep through the night. Like imagine having that throughout comp prep. So <laughs> there, are, there are certain things that even something like myostatin, myostatin is, I guess, uh, is it, I think it might be a hormone, but it's, it's a regulatory hormone, I think, for how much muscle someone can build. So people who are deficient in myostatin, they build a lot more muscle. Um, like even if you Google like a myostatin deficiency in cows. Like it's a there's protein, a protein. Okay. Um, yeah. There's this certain bull, I think that is naturally deficient in myostatin and it grows to absolutely enormous sizes. Um, I remember learning that was, that, that was quite a fun lecture at, at university. Is that an actual thing? Like, is it, is a deficiency in humans a real thing? Cause I've seen supplements, which is like mm. myostatin inhibitor. But yeah. then why aren't people like, you know, human equivalent of those cows? I suppose I think, Big Rami's probably not far off, but... I think they were saying that, like, Ronnie had it. I remember they were, like, saying it a while ago. It's like, you know, oh, Ron had to have had it. Like, I don't know if he did or not, but yeah. I think there are probably more productive ways of increasing your muscularity than inhibiting myostatin these days. So, like, someone who is naturally or genetically lower in it like that's obviously great for them but it's probably one of those things where it's like one in a billion i'm not sure though i'm just going to imagine like us putting it in like our little baby's bottle come here come here here you go like straight from birth just like deprive it of it i want to ask dc something like when you say that the genetics conversation limits people like where is the line between just being realistic and then also limiting yourself yeah well i mean i guess i guess if you're realistic about how far you can take your sport the genetics card will will play play a factor right but then 
what if you were that individual that just stopped bodybuilding because you were like, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to genetically make, make the top three at, at WNBF worlds. There's no point in me doing this anymore. Like, I think you got to be a realist in that. Like at the, at the end of the day, the, the elites, the, like the top 1%, percent are going to be the ones that, that, you know, do the best in our sport. Um, but it shouldn't deter you so much so that you just don't make an effort towards something that you're passionate about and that you love doing. So I think that's kind yeah, of where, where the line is drawn at the end of the day. Like, yeah, hundred percent. So, but that probably also comes back to someone's motivations rather than, because, you know, someone like that is obviously outcome focused, whereas someone who's going to be a little bit more journey focused and focused on the process itself is not going to necessarily have that mindset of like, if I don't achieve X, then I'm not going to even try because some people will just like the journey. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's important to be sort of a little bit of both like process orientated and also outcome orientated. Because I think process orientated helps you get through each and every day uh, in regards to it, you know, achieving set, set goals. And then outcome orientation is having that sort of carrot on a stick that you're trying to work, work towards, right? So but it's the thing is anyway, like, like the way that standard deviation works is that like the average person. So if you're listening to this, you probably have average genetics. And then depending on which way you go from the standard deviation, like either above or below, like some people will have better than average genetics. Some people will have lower than average genetics. So like it's, to me, it's a bit redundant, even talking about it in a sense, because mm. like some people have great genetics, some people don't, some people have, tiny bit better than average genetics like i think we all have better than average genetics um but you can't just yeah. say people that have bad genetics man you just had 100 people on this podcast just quit bodybuilding just then it's like <laughs> wait this will be a fun game ready let's all go around and let's say that the average as you mentioned jack is like a five and let's say 10 is ronnie coleman where on that plane would you rate your own genetics? We'll start with DY. I reckon I've got a 4.5, maybe a five. I don't know, but how can you say that? You're, you have well, a card. Yeah, but when you actually break down my physique and how it looks, uh, you, you probably wouldn't notice by the photos, but my pecs are completely different. Like there's about a centimeter difference in between them. But by changing my posing, you would never know that. Both of my oblique genetics are completely different and my abs aren't symmetrical. Not only that, the way my lats tie in and my back ties in, I've actually got like a really like thick back. So I don't have that real big taper, especially for a men's fitness competitor. Not only that, my triceps are completely different genetics either side. So like when you like maybe like see me on stage, you'll actually never know that. And now I might've just given away my world title chance, you know, cause they might point out the judging panel, but um when you actually break down my physique and if I was to stand directly front on, you'd be able to notice like imbalances. And when it comes to, I guess, fitness, I feel like that really good genetics is what really makes a good fitness competitor, especially like when you have a real tight waist, symmetrical abs, symmetrical chest. It's like, you know, you never see very many pro men's physique competitors with uneven pecs if that makes sense like they're very minor but like when you're talking at a high level bodybuilding competition like you know like sure i might have the right muscle for the division and stuff like that but when you actually break down the genetic side of it and yeah there's a few inconsistencies amongst my physique that aren't like you know that that are out of my control okay like let's think about it here 
So like all the people who go to the gym, it's like, are you like more muscular than just your average gym rat? Yes. And then we have yeah, the people you then who have can... to factor in people's effort. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's out of genetics completely. Like just because I trained for 10 years compared to someone else that trains for five, I'm no, talking but... like structurally. But here's my point. It's like of all the people that compete in men's fitness, you narrow those people down. You then narrow down the people who have could win an overall at like a local show. And then you have a pro card discounting anything to do with hard work and sensible programming and dieting and contest prep. Like you have to have above a five, mm. like you have to be I above agree. the standard deviation of genetics. I think, like, I think you're I, I don't comparing think you yourself can... in a limited pool. Like you're comparing yourself probably within pros, whereas you need to compare yourself within the whole population. Mm, pool. Exactly. Yeah, it does make sense, but I don't feel like I don't want to say it, but like, you know, like in the men's fitness do how many of those people that are at the top notch were probably compared to me genetic wise. And when I actually look at that, I think like, let's say if I was to go to the top five out of all of my men's fitness divisions, I probably had the worst structured genetics out of all the top five. Like, you know, let's say it is 15 people on stage, 10 of them, you know, shouldn't probably be there and wouldn't be compared up into the top five. Like, you know, if you were to take the top five competitors that are all in condition, you know, are all doing the nuts and bobs, like, you know, I feel okay, like other we'll, top we'll five. Write it down to three. You got a three out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what would you rate me, Lawrence, out of like, you know, if you were to a decent men's fitness lineup, like, you know, like where they're all in condition, not like one guy that hasn't fucking, that shit the bed and he's fucking eaten KFC three times the fucking week before. I want to know what I rate in your eyes. Well, I think like for someone because like you know like we have to consider like also what you've achieved like you know and if we think about the sheer number of people that are able to get to that point then i would argue that like we all have to at least be a seven because I'll like take, you know, i'll take like a we, seven we even said it off the podcast before we started recording like none of us are in that like freak category like we're probably none of us are probably nines and tens Actually, DC might be up there. He's pretty nutty. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we would all have to be like a seven or above. Like, you know, because if it's, if we break it down to like standard deviations, you know, one or two, I think that's probably where we would have to at least be. And especially you, like, because think about it, man, like how many people can compete in a bodybuilding show in the first place and then win it all and then win a pro card? I wouldn't get a pro card in men's fitness. (laughs) Yeah, neither would I. Well, I'm going to argue that my genetics must be shit because you guys are about twice the size of me, you know? So I'm doing something wrong here. I'm lacking something. What are we then referring genetics to? Are we referring genetics as being like your ability to be just at maximally as big as possible? Or are we talking like your genetics specific to fitness, fitness mm. and physique, right? Because I, I couldn't do well in those categories. Therefore, I'm not genetically gifted for that. So it's like it's again it's kind of almost context dependent right lawrence's roundabout genetic score i think <laughs> what uh, would you say jack i just said lawrence's roundabout genetic score so i, I was just interpreting <laughs> as our genetic proclivity for bodybuilding in as a whole but that's not a bad point from dc to be fair because it is relative to like your division mm. Mm. i mean i was going to say like a six and a half for me um which kind of is close to what you said of seven so what about you lawrence what would you give yourself a seven then? I'd probably go straight seven. Yeah. Maybe now I sound like I'm the. 
Look at Lawrence Van Tooten, his own horn here. Oh, I'm a seven out of ten. Like, you know, I what, swear 21 like years of age, fucking jacked as hell. Like, I swear sometimes I have this, like, I, I don't know, maybe in some respects this is a good thing. I, like, I sometimes think my my ability is, like, above where it is. Like, even my mate and I were arguing the other day, like, I was, like, insistent that I could run, like, a sub one minute 400 meter, like, in my That's current tough. state. And then I was, like, fire out. That's actually pretty quick. But mm. I just, you know, there's that little part of me that's like, I've got the heart. I can do it. That means you have to do 100 meters in, in 15 seconds. I'm not sure if you could do that. Yeah, that's what he that's what he said. He was like, you've got to do that four times. I was like, when he put it like that, I was like, mm, probably not. The next reel, Lawrence doing a sprint. <laughs> See how he should. The next deload week, get me on I mean, track. Aren't reels only like max of a minute now? So he'd ha- he'd have to mm. actually get it It'd done. It'd have to be a proper video, yeah. IG live. So what does that put DC at? An eight, eight and a half? See, all I need to say now is I rate myself a six just to make you really look like yeah. a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'd probably say the same, maybe like a, a seven, a seven or perhaps a, perhaps an eight, probably max, I feel. I mean, I look at people like Meshach and I look at people like Babakar in terms of, you know, their, their genetics card. And I'm certainly not on, on that level you know at the end of the day but i do have genetic proclivities towards men's bodybuilding which you know obviously that's that's what i do so um yeah but i think there's like there's always going to be someone out there that's better than you right at the end of the day and you 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 should acknowledge that but it doesn't really mean that you you stop doing what you're doing like i'm not going to look at some of these guys that have won the wnbf pro worlds and and go oh my chances of, of making to the worlds now is just not there like I'm going to do everything I can to, to come out first if I can. Right. So, but yeah, probably a six man. Cause you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a three. I'm just, you know, it's hard work. Like, I don't know. Um, I probably brought it up before, but like guy Sistanino on Fuad's podcast, like he always harps on about how he's got like rubbish genetics and it's all just been hard work and grind. It's like, bro, like you've got an IFBB pro card. You've got seven pro wins. Like it's crazy, you clearly don't have bad genetics. Just give it a rest, Dad. Though, because he probably like compares himself to like all the others in the pro ranks. Where I guess, like, in terms of the pro ranks, he probably doesn't have the best genetics. You know, he definitely ain't rocking up like Ronnie Coleman. But when you're looking at it, like, how many people actually have an IFBB pro card, there are so so limited amount of people with an actual IFBB pro card. So just to even have one alone sounds a lot like what you'd say for an ICM pro card. <laughs> Well, let's see how I rank up against the pros, all right, before we go into genetics. We're cracking dead last. Self-belief out of your DY. Oh, man. There's a heap of self-belief in Let's there. get Lawrence talking about something else. All right. Spinal <laughs> flexion under load. Nah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Extend it an hour. We'll get next week's app. Uh, advice for a first-timer. Lawrence, what was going through your mind first time when you were going uh, to step on stage? to show day? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. As as a competitor, like, what's 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 a piece of advice that you would give your give your younger self? Well, maybe, I'm sure we'll probably all have something. For, maybe we can do this one as like a bit of a rapid fire, go mm-hmm. around the circle. I would say one piece of advice I would have given my first self on show day. Ooh, that's actually a really interesting one. I'd probably say, like, on a practical sense, I didn't tan my face. Well, Joey didn't tan my face, which in hindsight I should have done because my head looked like photoshopped onto my body. Um, 
and then maybe other than that is just like no, no i won't take too many i'll just go with that one yeah you ever dye, dye your hair for a show day lawrence would i yeah see mate i can't imagine myself with any other hair than the one i do have like what would i go to you i was thinking like the general muscle podcast colors potentially yeah yeah that could be on like really just abrasive bright red <laughs> mate well, you, you gotta gotta stick to what jason says don't don't detract from the physique which i think mm-hmm. is a good point actually because i've seen some crazy do's on show day and it it doesn't ever enhance anything you know i can go to get like the avatar arrow pointing on your head for a set amount of likes just like bald looking like a jedi nearly Mm, I know, like sideways, sideways mohawk or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> if I cut my hair, could you like? If I was bald, could you imagine how ridiculous my ears would look? Like, <laughs> mate, it would look unbelievable. Or I could go bald and keep the beard. Look like no, a crop. no one would have more width width than you, though, Lawrence. You'd have them on every aspect. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you, you can't shave, Jack. The hairline's too good. I reckon even me, I'm, I don't know. You definitely can't jump on any uh, PEDs. No, I might have to go to Turkey and get that, uh, get that surgery. Starting to look like Vegeta, man. Yeah, I know. Gemma <laughs> always tells me that she thinks I'm thinning. Do you think it's the hat? That's what she says. But L- Alana said- like a wives' tale. Alana says the exact same thing. I'll be like, come home from training, my hair's all messed up. She's like. <gasps> You're going bald. I'm like, I've just worn my hat and I've just trained. Like, I mean, give me a break. No, it's the uh, hat. It's the hat. I used to wear the hat a lot, probably for like four or five years every day. And because I used to train with it. And then I think since then, like my hair probably has gotten a little bit thicker, like in my own anecdotal experience. Oh, no. Any N uh, equals one. Sorry, guys. We're done. <laughs> that plus the creatine. We're done, DY. <laughs> That's it. No more hats. My, my uh, piece of advice, I guess, would be the probably the most obvious one. Don't be too harsh on yourself. Like if this is your first show, uh, like you're probably going to have years and years of competing ahead of you. Don't be too harsh on yourself. Don't set extremely high expectations because the chances of you uh, scoring a pro card on your first ever uh, season is probably going to be very limited. You know, use it as like a starting point and then, you know, go from there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I will say yeah, yeah. sorry. I was just going to say, like, riding off that, like, it's really important to stay in your own lane, I think, and, and to not mm. compare yourself so much against other competitors because everyone throughout the timeline of their contest prep is going to look very different. And those timelines are going to look different as well. So someone might look ready a little bit earlier than, than what you look like at, you know, 10 weeks out. But maybe that just means that they've they've gone harder at the start and they're slowing things down at the end. You know, maybe... Uh, it's just so it's just so 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 individualized at the end of the day and how you look at 10 weeks out eight weeks out it's not going to determine what you look what you know this is what your stage placing is going to be on the day right it's how you look and how you present on the day itself so and i think it's also can really detract from your own enjoyment throughout the process if you're constantly looking at other competitors making those comparisons like you need to leave that comparison for the for the judges at the end of the day and it just takes away from your enjoyment factor so you know, that whole comparison is the thief of joy. I think that really is, is a premise within within a contest prep phase. And it probably remains not for just a first timer, but for anyone who's jumping on stage. 
no doubt pros that go up on stage yes they're probably going to be looking at other competitors and you've got that mindset that you want to beat them in xyz but speaking from my own and anecdotal experience i think i enjoyed this prep the most because i spent the least time comparing myself to what others look like and just focusing on what i could control and my enjoyment through that process mm. yeah i i think you only compete for the first time once and looking back, like there were elements of my first prep, which I probably enjoyed a little bit more than my second prep because I was a first timer. Like you're kind of fresh to that whole experience. So kind of, I guess, make the most of it because as soon as you compete a second and third and fourth time, et cetera, each experience is, is not going to be as fresh as the first. Next question, blood work for competitors. <laughs> I'm going to make it uh, the transition very smooth. I personally haven't uh, ever done my blood work ever. So I'm not probably the one to answer this, but I have had clients do it. And I have had females where I've gotten them to get their blood work done, especially like prior to prep. I wanted to make sure everything was in the right spots. And even like post-show, like after you've just done a big dieting phase, I wanted to make sure everything was good. Um, so I have told clients to get them, but personally I have not, cause I really haven't had any, I guess, health issues. I guess I am genetically blessed from what Lawrence was telling me, but what about you DC? I know you've had a couple. Clearly you're seven, seven out of 10. Man. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think getting blood work is, is there's, there's no harm in getting it done. Right. And definitely if you talk to a doctor, they're going to recommend that you get your blood work done at least, let's say you know, once a year. So there's no harm in getting it done just to see how healthy you are. And there's any adjustments you can make from a nutritional standpoint to ensure that you're ticking all of those boxes. But even, you know, wearing the coach's hat, it's something that I might leverage on if there's something that's a red flag or problematic within one's off season or contest prep, it might be a matter of further exploring it through, through blood work. So I don't think I'm not definitely not opposed to getting blood work done. I think it's important to see how your health is and what adjustments you can make in, in within the means of which you can control. What about you, Lawrence? You ever gotten blood work on? Just the once, mate. And it was actually just out of interest to see like where my testosterone level was at. And yeah, I think I'm probably in agreement with DC. It's probably something I could probably do a bit more regularly just as like general health stuff, but like, it's a tough one. I don't know. It's like, there's probably parts of your blood work. I'm not a doctor. So like, is there stuff that even if you're not symptomatic, it can, you know, um, show that something is not in the right spot. I'm not too sure. Like in the physio world, when it comes to further investigations and stuff like that, you know, it's not like we're recommending people to go for x-rays and MRIs every six months just to check up. Like that's definitely not something you'd recommend, but I was just saying, Jack, like, are there, obviously within your scope, are there things that could show up on a blood test that could be out of range, even if you're not symptomatic? Yeah, hundred percent. I think with a lot of nutritional uh, blood work markers, you could be deficient and, and not have any symptoms. Um, but I think that's the interesting part of nutrition. There's the difference between having a sufficient level versus optimal level. And I think vitamin D is a good example because a lot of people are just on the, on the threshold of, of not being deficient in vitamin D or, or being slightly deficient. And by supplementing with that, um, you can boost it up quite significantly and be within a much more productive range. But it, it, other things like calcium, like iron, uh, like B12. Um, yeah, I think blood tests, considering they're 
for the most part free in Australia. Like I, I really encourage people to make the most of them and get them done like every six months or so. Do you normally get yeah, yours done every six months? Yeah, I, I usually do. So I, I test for basically whatever I can get for free. I, I, I get <laughs> so just tell the GP to give me as much as they can. Is that on uh, Tiara's uh, money-making scheme? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Also, I guess it's good to note here that this is completely different for enhanced athletes as well. Mm. Like, obviously, if you're putting uh, added hormones into your body, you just want to make sure that you're getting them checked up. Uh, it's going to be a hard one, though, because I don't think many doctors would truly, like, you know, when you're... I don't know, DC might know a little bit more about this. Like, you know, when you're adding extra hormones into your body, like a lot of doctors, as soon as you bring it up and tell them about it, it's like, eh, all right, you know, something's up here or something's wrong. Or I feel like you need to be quite transparent with the doctor about it. Why does DC know more about this? I don't know. I feel like if he was, <laughs> I feel like he's probably de <laughs> dealt with more enhanced athletes than I would ever deal with. I've probably chatted to them more. I've, very, I've dealt with very minimal enhanced uh, athletes. I don't know what you're on about, man. What are you uh, trying to say, D.Y.? No, I'm talking about, sorry. Nah, I don't know. I, I know DC's like quite an intelligent man on that aspect, getting oh, done yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, didn't want, I didn't want to point the finger. <laughs> but I think I'm, in terms of blood tests, like even looking at, like you can even indicate you know, things like fatty liver, like um, hmm. AST and ALT levels, like in the ratio between those two. I think they can indicate indications of, yeah, fatty liver and things like that. So I definitely think there's benefits to getting blood tests just because like Jack said, there's might be potentially things that you could somewhat offset or change within what, what you can control, like your nutrition and, and, and things like that, which could present would, could prevent something from occurring down the track, you know? So, yeah, I think it's a little bit different in terms of maybe getting scans associated with physiotherapy and things like that in yeah. like slightly different in context. That would not be good for me. Like I would diagnose myself with a bulging disc or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like trying to read the MRI. Mm, what's that? So one of them people, they have like one symptom of something like a pain in their neck and then they search it up on like Google. And it's like, all right, well, it turns out I've got brain cancer. It's like, yeah. uh, it's probably not the case. <laughs> but it's really interesting though, because like GPs, I try not to paint with too broad of a brush, but you know, it's a big issue in Australia with the amount of people who get sent for like particularly lower back imaging when they don't need it. And it actually sort of creates worse effects. I'd be interested to hear if like there's any research around blood tests and like, you know, people seeing their numbers or seeing what is in and out of range. And like, you know, does that have any sort of effect on them psychologically or, mm. or does that, you know, is that predictive of any, sort of health outcomes because it definitely is very you know it's pretty well known and pretty well established in the research that like people who get either routine imaging for their low back pain be it x-ray or mri like actually tend to have worse outcomes than those who don't so i'd be interested to see if there was any sort of evidence like that on the medical side yeah if you're a hy hypochondriac <laughs> you, go, you, go, you go looking for something like trying to find but something that's wrong about you a good example for people who resistance train is creatinine because we know our, our blood creatinine will be higher because there's more muscular damage. So if you train legs the day before a blood test, then chances are your creatinine is going to be sky high. And then people get worried. They see their GP, their GP refers them on to um, a specialist. And like, that's because the GPs don't know that 
if you resistance train, you have muscle damage and your creatinine is going to be higher. Um, even if you supplement with creatine as well, that can influence uh, kidney mark. Um, well, that can influence creatinine, which is then a uh, high creatinine is an issue for the kidney. So uh, there's, there's things like that, which people need to be wary of. Um, another one is also the liver enzymes too. Like some of those can be a little bit elevated after training. So I think it's always worthwhile when you go see a GP after a blood test, let them know that you uh, frequently exercise in the gym and that should hopefully piece two and two together for the GP. Jack, you said you had a question before we start recording. Yeah, it was, I guess we can quickly go through this. It's more, I'm just, just seeking you guys assistance on something. So I bumped into DC the other day at, in the bathroom actually. And I just mentioned to him that we, I, was, I was feeling a bit tired and this was on Monday before RDLs. And something I've realized upon training at Brendale is be, uh, for context, I used to walk to the gym every day, about 10, 15 minutes. Now I drive 20 minutes to the gym and I'm often rocking up to the gym, like feeling a little bit tired. Like my head, my, you know, that feeling where like your eyes will be a bit heavy lidded. You kind of just want to close them and take a nap. Um, that's how I'm feeling rocking up to the gym sometimes. And I'm thinking the obvious answer is because I'm not walking to the gym anymore, but like, I'm trying to solve this in my own head as to like how, how I can rock up to the gym, feeling alert on the ball, ready to go. Like I used to. Do you think you're somewhat, somewhat still tired from the move that you just recently did? Because I think, I feel like that has a bit of a, a, a momentous effect, like momentum in terms of affecting you you know, for a week or two after. And it's only really been what you've been in there for like two weeks now, something mm. along those lines. Like you're probably still in boxes to an aspect. You're in, you're you're acclimating yourself to a different environment, sleeping in a different room. Like I just think little things like this can definitely creep in and affect your own habits and routines. And certainly that that will have an effect on your your training readiness and performance. Mm. Um, but I definitely think the the readiness aspect could be attributable to the walking as well. Like perhaps the process of you walking creates more alertness, uh, gets that blood flowing, warms up, warms up your body and as well. And then by the time you're, you know, getting into your first set, you're much more ready. Whereas simply stepping out of the car, walking into the gym, sitting down on the foam roller and foam rolling, and then getting into your first set. It's just like, you haven't really created that warmth that you would have done if through the process of walking. So mm. I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword, kind of a few different influences happening. Yeah. I was actually thinking of trying out the, uh, this is a drastic solution, but trying out the sniffing salts, seeing if that uh, improves my alertness. You won't be natty. <laughs> that, that's confirmed. Do you it, think it's the drive? Because like you wouldn't drive that much, would you? No, I, I would probably only drive once, once a week at my previous house. Um, mm -hmm. And that was to get groceries. Sometimes we would obviously go other places. Um, so I wonder it's if it's day. like the drive that's just kind of like, Ugh, like you, you have 20 minutes where you need to concentrate and you're like a bit flat after it. Maybe you need some of that five minutes nut in the game, George Osborne <laughs> style, mate, on the stepper. Get yes. the head on. I probably, maybe I'll do a little bit of a case study on myself. Make sure I get in 10 minutes of walking or five to 10 minutes on the treadmill, drink my pre, get into the session and see if that makes a difference. Because I'm sure a lot of the other variables hasn't been changed, like your pre-workout meal, mm. like, you know, sleep patterns would probably be quite similar as well. Yeah. But you're now a lot closer to the beach, aren't you? Much closer. Yeah. Yes. 
Which uh, I would have had to be a wide doorway if you bumped into DC in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of man in one spot. Sideways just to get just to get through it one at one at yeah. a time. Fortunately, there was no one else in the bathroom because they well, they wouldn't have been out of fit in there anyway. So, is it only on certain sessions, or is it across like a majority of the sessions that you know you have like? I guess uh, that- it's. Yeah, it's most sessions, I would say. Like, like, because I did RDLs and as soon as I'd done RDLs and I'd like kind of alerted myself through uh, a high intensity lift, uh, it was much better. But I am noticing a bit of a decrement in those first lifts as well. Like RDLs, uh, barbell incline, they just haven't been as good. So yeah, that's why it's quite yeah. important. Do you think you're also getting to the point where you might need to run something like a deload like mm. you're just sort of getting to that point in training where you're not, where we're seeing a little bit more of a plateau which you will approach in, on on occasion perhaps yes yeah. i mean when was the last time you, you ran a deload well i actually did do for a deload starting on monday but i'm going to prolong it um just because of the upcoming shows and so i need to be strategic with how i do it yeah who As- drives to the gym is it you or tiara do you swap uh i've i've been driving there and uh she drives back so okay Who's Man, the better driver? The teamwork. <laughs> I Who's the better driver? Well, I think I, I passed my driving test on the first go. I think Tierra took two or three tries. Uh, so just putting that out there. Yeah. Three tries. Uh, two or three. I think I better not say three for certain in case it's... Just say two. Dude, that's, yeah. that's the safe <laughs> option. Because <laughs> I can trust Tierra to get to this far in the podcast. That's the thing. This is true. This is true. You do got to do what like Cuba does, where just Meg just drives him everywhere so he can work in the <clears throat> in the seat. I even like watching one of his YouTube videos once, and he was talking about how like he was at the point in the prep where you know can't be expending any more energy than necessary. So he had Meg like loading his plates for him. Jesus. But like thinking that's... about that on the back end of prep, just pay someone like 50 bucks like for a week <laughs> and just come and swap my way. So I just give me like a little hand up, like, hey, come over here. I'm done with the deadlifts. All right, off I go. You're sacrificing valuable meat though at that point. Which yeah, that's true. Mm. And that might need mean mean uh, more calories are pulled from your nutrition, right? So a yeah. slightly a slightly smaller bowl of oats. And at that point in your yeah. prep, no one's down for that. So it's game changing. One thing with the uh, with the sessions, it's interesting because I know even when sometimes when I train over with Joey at like Valhalla, like I would do like an incline bench there. I don't know if it's because the setup's different, but I'll do the exact same weight as normal. I don't know if the bars are different or something, but it just feels so much heavier. Like, and I do the, I know how that weight feels. For example, it was an incline bench and normally I can get six. I only got five and every set just felt so much heavier than what it was. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the setup's definitely different. I was even commenting to DC that the benches at Brendale are lower to the ground, which makes yeah. it more difficult to brace for me. So I, I definitely think that's a, a component. Um, same with the RDLs. I'm using bumper plates now, but if anything, that should make it easier. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to drag on for too long. I'll, I'll keep, keep the people posted though. Yeah, yeah, if the benches are higher up, Jack, it's it's better for CV because you're training at that altitude, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do they say train high compete low yeah exactly for the benefits so on, think, on your taper week you're just on the floor just wrapping <laughs> it out just push-ups that's it i think it's performance anxiety as well like you know now that you got big dc watching over you like you know you feel <laughs> obligated to train at a really high level and now look you got performance anxiety 
Well, I think that's going to be it for today, listeners. Uh, we got through a large array of questions. I want to thank everyone for submitting questions because we actually get a very large amount of top quality questions each week. And it's actually quite hard to pick out like a limited amount. So I want to thank everyone for that. Uh, if you haven't already, head over to your uh, podcast platforms and give us a five-star review. Thanks for listening, guys.